0: The greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its leaders and volunteers. Every week, founder of the Community of Big Hearts, Stu Starkey, will place the spotlight on leaders and volunteers, highlight key stories and statistics, and share insights to educate listeners and inspire everyone to have greater impact in their communities. Welcome to the Community of Big Hearts. All right,
1: welcome back everybody to the community of big hearts excited this week. Um, as always here we got Damien uh, joining the, the pod and uh, I'm honored to bring on the guest Sean Loney. You know, Sean, I, I gotta be honest, your intro was hard to be concise in doing. So uh, here's some of the highlights for Sean. He is an award winning entrepreneur. He is a multiple uh, book author, which we have a quote we we uh, ripped out of one of your books uh,
0: that Damien's going to share with us. Perfect. Here we go. Um, one of the things from the An Army of Problem Solvers, uh, taking this out of here, what I've learned has made me far more optimistic about the world. What I saw in the dock at Garden Hill was not poverty, independence, but opportunity. Instead of unemployment, I saw a ready workforce. Instead of a diabetes epidemic, I saw people who would buy healthy food if it were affordable and convenient. Instead of a high-priced monopoly retailer, I saw room for more market entrance. Instead of poorly spent government money, I saw ample opportunity for smart investment. My change in perspective has not come about from reading books or sitting in classrooms. It has come from the trenches. What I was
1: most impressed about Sean in your uh, very long um, impressive resume was your social enterprise. Um, I, I believe it's 12 social enterprises focusing on um, poverty, uh, crime reduction and grease, greenhouse gas emission reductions. Um, it was so cool using uh, your skills, identifying problems, um, and then coming up with opportunities. Um, so Sean, what an incredible impact you're having on our communities. Uh, how are you doing?
2: Good Stu and Damien. Nice to, nice to connect. I've been, I've been looking forward to this conversation and, uh, and enjoyed looking at your, uh, some of your past podcasts and looking forward to connecting with more of them. This is awesome.
1: You know, um, I used to watch wrestling when I was a kid, and there's uh, there's those guys that you really like, kind of revered in in their skills. And so when I was thinking about all the things you're done doing, especially the problems you were solving in our communities, man, I think you should have your own theme song when you walk into a room. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, da, da, da. Yeah,
2: we'll uh we'll work on that i i think that it's not probably as special as what you think it is uh, i'm an entrepreneur but i work in the nonprofit sector and uh you know what 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 good could come of
1: that <laughs> Um uh, yeah, uh, sean I, I think um yeah, it's it's just so impressive. Um, we are really big fans, and, and can't wait to hear more. Sounds like you're also very humble. Um, would love to hear a little bit about um, you know what's important to you right now these days. Would love to hear about what you're getting into.
2: Yeah, so I started um, in 2006 with a nonprofit called Build uh, in Winnipeg, and we were insulating low-income housing and. We just realized that in order to expand our impact, we needed to be more entrepreneurial. And we uh, we we began a relationship with Manitoba Housing, which is owned by the government of Manitoba. And there's a group of us now, social enterprises, uh, nonprofit businesses is how I might define them. Uh, we do about $6 million a year of work with, uh, with Manitoba Housing. And in essence, we've turned government from being just a funder into a customer. And we're finding that that helps uh, get full value for the work that we do. Um, And we're realizing that this this shift in thinking, uh, treating government as a customer, has implications across all social and environmental problems. And um, homelessness in particular, is, um, is is how we're, we're making this application. And I didn't realize at first that um, when people are unhoused, the extent to which they're in contact with the emergency services, it's it's actually astonishing. Uh, in Barrie, Ontario and talking to the mayor there, Mayor Jeff Lehman, he was telling me that, yes, yeah, it's Sean, we have 400 people who are homeless and also in regular contact with emergency services. So I said to him, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, of those 400, the average contact is 21 times a year. It's like, wow, that is really uh, expensive and they're struggling. And so what, what we're doing now and what's the freshest for me is, is um, approaching these emergency service providers and, and inviting them to have a customer uh, supplier relationship with us. And it's uh, what we're finding is really extraordinary.
1: Sean, there's a lot in there for me. I, I remember reading an article uh, quite a few years ago um, about the costs of homeless to exactly that, the healthcare. And there was an article that um, took a look at four people in the city of Winnipeg um, mm-hmm. that were u- frequent users of the healthcare system and, and it cost um over $950,000. And that was like 10 years ago. I I can't imagine, you know, with inflation, what that's costing in some of the epidemics we have going on. So uh, like what you said there was when you turn, you know, government service into a non-for-profit, you're putting constraints on your solution. And and that's the beauty of um, enterprise is, is, the solutions that come out of when you're putting constraints on your, your solutionable opportunities. And I imagine that you just fractionalize the expense probably while making a, a better service. So I don't think
2: that the problem is us being nonprofit. That's, that's not what the constraint is. The problem is that we're not using business tools to achieve these, uh, amazing benefits and everyone knows, everyone knows that it's cheaper to provide the supportive housing up front than to continuously respond to these inhumane conditions. And there's not a single person I've ever met that likes homelessness. There's not a single person I've ever met that, that doesn't agree that there is a value proposition there. So what is the problem? Uh, And it's a few, uh, I could describe it in in two issues. I mean, with funding, um, it's not a business tool. It's it's about compliance and it doesn't get at the value of what it is nonprofits are offering. And then the second thing is um, you're working with, say, for example, the police. They can't buy supportive housing. It's not in their mandate. They don't have a mechanism to do that, even though, there might be a value proposition. So what we've realized is treating them as a customer, customer is always right. You guys know that in your business lives and what they're interested in buying is a reduction in their workload. So um, we're able to go to them and say, look, you, you don't worry about the supportive housing. Don't worry about the, um, you know, what happened, the, the reduction in visits to the emergency ward. Don't worry about any of that. Just uh, will you pay us to To reduce your workload, and what we're finding is that they're saying, "Hell yes, uh, this is a, this is the idea we've been waiting for all along."
1: Hmm. Amazing, and, and you're finding progress uh, in those conversations.
2: We're we're very early on, uh, but in Barrie, Ontario, um, you know, we're having great discussions. The mayor there is driving them. It, it helps to have a progressive mayor that understands that there are solutions to problems and that poverty in the end is not about poor people. It's about the failure of the systems that they're interacting with. And so much of how we're engaging low-income families now is it as though there's something wrong with them. They've, uh, you know, they need some help. But in the end, they're really victims of these colonial systems that are just cranking out really bad outcomes. And I'm talking bad as in not just people living on the riverbanks but massive taxpayer expenditures.
1: Hmm. So
2: in Winnipeg almost half of the taxes that are collected commercial and residential go towards emergency services now. And it when when that and when that is happening that's a lot less money for road repair, for libraries, for recreation, for green space, all of these things and we're, you know, Winnipeg isn't unique in that. I think we're, we're feeling it more than most cities, but we obviously need some new strategies to help governments understand and lean into the thing that everyone agrees with, which is that, holy crap, is this ever expensive Um, people living in inhumane conditions, uh, just because of the generation of the uh, calls to fire, to paramedics, and to police, and 22% of the financial benefits of addressing homelessness are municipal. Most of it is provincial, <laughs> because they're also in contact with the courts, with jails, uh, with emergency services at the hospital, with in psychiatric beds at the hospital as well, um, to name a few. So... Uh, as brutal as it is and i i appreciate damien or sorry um i appreciate that you read that quote it's really about the upside of down um to be able to see is like this is a terrible situation but the flip side of it is there's a whole lot of opportunity and that's why that's what i'm excited about i, I mean I, I can give you the stats but in the end it's the opportunity that excites me and the ability to, to shift directions.
1: And, and that's where problem solvers come in. I mean, um, I, I think you and I are, are both um, problem solvers, which we've exercised in our um, businesses and enterprises that we're working on. And when we see an issue or constraint, I mean, I, I know I get excited because it's an opportunity for me to feel some sense of duty to my uh, community um, Mm -hmm. and and people involved. And so, um, I love that you're, you have a, a passion for these social issues, and we need way more people, um, especially like you, who are true problem solvers, to have the two conversations that aren't being done very well, in my opinion, where you have the human cost uh, on the one side of the conversation. And this is horrible that people are, are living on the riverbanks and, and freezing to death and starving and um, all the mental health issues. That those those are terrible. But then we're not talking about the stats, the costs, and marrying those two. So both sides of the aisle, if you will, can get together, and, and it can be a bipartisan-type solution where we really put together um, uh, our human... Um, collaboration where everyone gets involved and, and you're having that conversation. That's why I'm so excited to be talking to you. And, and just, uh, I would love to help in any way we can, uh, pour some, uh, gasoline, some horsepower to what you're doing.
2: Yeah. Amazing. I, I, you guys have a platform you're using it. You're, you're using it to encourage people to lean, le- to lean into kindness, compassion, and, Uh, I think also good to remind people that those things actually work Uh, (laughs) and how exciting that is for the world, that there are solutions to problems. Mm -hmm. And from a taxpayer perspective, um, it's actually that delightful that the solving these problems is actually cheaper than, uh, than managing them. And, we just need some new financial tools. And I mean, I'm a social entrepreneur, fair enough, but I'm part of an international movement where people are beginning to look at, you know, not just like bear down on the solutions that the left has been proposing or the solutions that the right has been proposing. Cause then we just kind of get to like, who's right and who's wrong. And it becomes a, a, a unproductive conversation. But I mean, what I'm saying is that, well, Um, These are some new tools, the the nonprofit sector can say, well, finally, our solutions that we've been offering are gonna be valued, that's important. Governments are able to say, well, finally, we can change these trends because they're exhausting. Governments are exhausted and they're throwing their hands up and saying, "We, we can't keep up. And then what we haven't talked about yet is also a role for investors where they're able to get both financial payback and social payback, and so in this way, um, we can out, we can really outcompete com- the old way of doing things, um, because I think there's lots of people like the the three of us having this conversation that want to be part of the solution, and right now we're kind of cut off from that. So um, new tools, uh, leaning into the the things that we all know that work, and um, it's it it it's a pretty exciting time.
1: Yeah, part of part of that conversation to get everybody involved is the the stats quantifying the problem. Do you have any other uh, stats that jump out at you like to share with our listeners that um, um, inspired you to get involved?
2: Well, I mean, I think one of the things I'd like to say is that people have been given a couple options let's use policing as an example. So it's like we're going to defund the police or let's just keep hiring more police officers. Well, neither one of those things has worked and neither one of those is going to work. Um, then you start looking at the stats as like, oh, 15% of the city of Winnipeg uh, police staff time is spent on dealing with people that are having mental health crisis. Oh, that's interesting. So, I mean, it, it sounds terrible, but it's, it's one hell of an opportunity to, help the police, free them up to focus on crime. Um, Because, you know, people are phoning them now and saying, you know, we need a, we need, uh, there's an emergency over here. There's a guy broke into my garage. He's pouring gas all over my backyard. And the answer is, well, we don't have a cruiser because they're at the hospital Mm -hmm. waiting for a doctor to see the guy, a guy that was causing problems that may have been homeless and that that transfer takes one hour and 49 minutes and uh of two uh police officers time and uh, and ties up a squad car so um yeah is it the police's fault no we're we're sending them out to these calls and no one else will go because they're under resourced so it's just you know, these things have caught up to us the way that we've always done things. And it's an opportunity to step back and have another look. So okay. uh, that might be a good stat um, to, to kind of think about is the fact that, you know, almost one sixth of the Winnipeg police service time. And I don't think it's any different than other police forces are spent transferring people that are having a tough time with their mental health to medical care. So. I think that that's one that sticks out for me. Mm. I could give you another one. Um, yeah. One of the social enterprises that I've helped to start is called build B U I L D. And where there's a version of it going in, uh, in Saskatoon in Brandon, Winnipeg, Barrie, Ontario, Toronto, and St. John's, Newfoundland and 70 and it build, uh, does what I believe to be, uh, Winnipeg's defining issue and Canada's defining issues connecting the people who most need to work with the work that most needs to be done. And we're talking uh, giving people jobs that otherwise wouldn't have access to labor market. 75% of people when they get out of jail are back in contact with the justice system within two years. And we call it a correction system. It's total failure. But when people come to build and they access to employment, job training, uh, driver's licensing, parenting, trades-based tutoring, financial literacy, access to elders, that collapses to very, very low numbers of number of people who who, uh, re-offend. So we go back and revisit this, these two options that people have is like, oh, do we, go soft on crime and, 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 and let people out early, you know, so that they can commit more crimes? Or do we just lock them up for longer and spend a lot more money than we're already spending? Neither one of those things have worked. Neither one of them are going to work. What does work is social enterprises. And so there's this thing called social procurement where governments are buying goods and services from social enterprises. And um, it's, it's we do, our group of social enterprises does about $6 million a year business with Manitoba Housing. And Manitoba Housing is hiring us to do their trades work uh, because we hire their tenants. And so they're not paying us any more than they would anyone else, but they're getting more value. So uh, I think, you know, in, in Scotland, there's 5,600 social enterprises there half of them hire people with barriers to employment. And if that were the same kind of rate as is in Manitoba, would be about a thousand social enterprises across the province, maybe 750 right here in Manitoba. What a massive difference that would make in, in our society and in our city. But, uh, and how much does that cost government? Negative, it's a <laughs> savings. So, and these are entrepreneurial solutions that that I think we'd miss if we just, you know, want to buckle down on these 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 traditional options, which are are very undesirable.
1: Yeah, that that stats is really powerful. Um, I sit on the board for um, Canadian National Institute for the Blind, and oh. uh, one of the programs that they have going is an employment program because uh, the same percentage of people with low vision who want a job are un- unemployed. Uh, mm-hmm. 75%. And, and it's not because they're not capable. It's because, you know, they're, they're not really being given a chance. Employers aren't being educated enough. So we're creating programs around that and, and are starting to get some traction on uh, higher employment uh, of, of that population. But what happens and what I've seen happen is um, when when you are um, can't find work, um, you don't have a sense of duty to your community. You, you, mm-hmm. you have a... Um, this loneliness, this lack of belonging. And and when you get that employment, the opposite is happening. And so I can see and understand why there's much less uh, reoffending when you have a sense of duty to your community. Um, so it, it's quite, um, that stat makes a lot of sense to me and the program that you've created is is really awesome. Um,
2: yeah, and I think that with the CNIB, for example, I mean, that's an amazing Opportunity and great to do training. It's an amazing opportunity to have an, another option, which would be social enterprises. And what what we find is that you know, getting the work that's a good fit for people that are visually impaired, and find that people will hire the CNIB social enterprise because of that. And because it actually offers not just the delivery of whatever the goods and services is, but this amazing, you know feeling where it's yeah I'm I'm doing something good I'm 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 helping the the world here I'm engaging as a good citizen and that's uh, that's the the special sauce of what social enterprises offer and um, yeah so I you know I, I think when we reach uh, you know the level of social enterprises in Manitoba or in Canada like as in Scotland then surely, you know, a chunk of them are going to be working with people um, that are differently abled and people
1: who are
2: visually impaired. So I I think those are pretty exciting paths to follow.
1: So we've gone through the stats and and I love talking about the stats first because it's so important to define the problem opportunity. Um, but then I also love to talk about the impact stories, bringing it down to a personal uh, level, telling the story of somebody that's being impacted in a positive way. Any stories that jump out to you about some of the programs you've run, like Build or Aki, um, that you'd like to share?
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, like I, I think at Build, there it's just daily. But I have to make a confession. I think that the life that's been most impacted is my own. Hmm. Um, and the reason why I say it is because poverty and privilege are connected. You, you can't actually have one without the other. And I'm on a journey, I think, in my life to find, to think where does my privilege come from and how is it that I'm connected to people who are struggling? And I find that the connections are pretty strong. Um, it doesn't mean I have to give up my privilege. Um, it just, it's a recognition. Um, and I love the, the, the quote by a coach out of the U S named Barry Schweitzer. He said, uh, some of us were born on third base and think we hit a triple. Um, mm. and so when you begin to realize that poverty and, and privilege are connected, it opens up some pretty amazing opportunities. And because you begin to look at people, not for their deficits, but for their assets and what it is that they can offer. And I've just been, I've been so wrong about a lot of things. Like I thought, wow, like i see all these people on the streets. It's like, well, I mean, they don't want to work. Well, at the social enterprise center in Winnipeg's North End, 30,000 square foot facility, um, Build will put out a, you know, we're hiring 10 people tomorrow. There'll be a lineup that's 300 feet long. Of people with criminal records looking for work, and I just see that as uh, a really amazing opportunity for uh, for cities that are struggling with social problems in Winnipeg in particular. So, yeah, I and you know the kindness that I have seen, I'm I'm just look at me like I'm I'm white, I'm privileged, I'm a settler, I'm. I can tell you I'm married, I'm well-educated, all of these things that give me access to so much that others don't have to offer, don't have the ability to access. And uh, I am accepted at the Social Enterprise Centre. I'm accepted as a, a soul that's the world and, you know, trying to make my own way. And so it's that act of kindness, I think, that is, uh, I just find really, really profound. And it it comes in Winnipeg, really, I think, from the Indigenous community. And they kind of see, they teach us to see things like we're all standing in a circle. Nobody's better than anyone else. And we all have something to contribute. And um, so I'm grateful to be, uh, you know, surrounded by that kind of love and compassion, which is really important.
1: Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I, uh, in doing the, the stuff that we're doing here at the community of big hearts, um, and some of the other initiatives through two small men, um, that, that's what I've gained is that sense of belonging and it's so powerful. Um, and I am so privileged to be able to, uh, feel that through, through giving back. So, um, I, I totally agree with you that this, um, helping, giving, feeling that sense of duty, um, has given me so much. Um, yeah.
0: Damon, you got a question. Yeah. And I, I think Sean, you know, you've learned so much here and I love, I'm sure at some point you had a switch that sort of went off on you where you can look at these, um, look at these problems and turn them into solutions and, and sort of flip the, flip the light and say, let's take a constraint and, and let's move forward with it. But, um, I do want to challenge you again and say, what are some of your obstacles right now that you're facing? um with social enterprises with uh moving forward working with poverty with homelessness um with build what are some obstacles that you're trying to work through right now
2: biggest obstacle by far is getting government to agree to save money <laughs> it's a very difficult thing they just they just want to manage problems and that's what they've done for four decades is just increasingly manage problems so They've never, for example, valued. They've never been asked before. Well, you know, would you pay us to to reduce your workload? So people have to agree that what we're doing now isn't working. It's not working on homelessness. It's not working on indigenous or refugee unemployment. It's not working on climate change. We should talk a bit about that. It's just not working. And so um, we. And and the work that nonprofits do, government is the is the main financial beneficiary. Mm. So we want We know what to do in the nonprofit sector. We know how to support people that are currently homeless. We know how to get people into the labor market. We we we've we've done a hundred pilot projects. Uh, we're we're good at doing pilot projects, right? We need to scale those things that work, and for that we need government to say, look. If you save us a million dollars, we'll pay you seven hundred and fifty thousand. If you save us ten million dollars, we'll pay you nine million dollars. And that is how this is how it's going to work going forward and that there will be some some governments break into this and it'll it'll happen very quickly. I've written in the beautiful bailout about how fast social innovation is going to take hold. Um, like an iPhone, uh, you guys might be too young to really remember the impacts, but one day no one had them, and three three years later everyone had them, and it was a convergence of a whole bunch of things that happened at the same time that really allowed the market penetrations to take off, and I think the same thing's going to happen with these relationships when when government realizes that they can they that they can buy these services from the nonprofit sector and that it's going to save them money what's the holdup? Let's get going. Um, But, you know, uh, so we're working on some other things now too. Uh, Aki Foods is a social enterprise that we've started that was working in the Ojikri area of uh, Manitoba, the Island Lake nations. And um, we originally started a farm, quite a big farm, you know, 10 acres planted, thousand chickens at a time sometimes. And uh, uh, we also have some housing on the farm. It's a very exciting place to be. We're selling, Um, food, uh, uh, healthy food there as well in in Garden Hill and that's going quite well. But we realized that in order to really scale those operations, we needed to really sell what healthy food does. And so we're we're looking at uh, taking a cohort of a thousand people, taking the blood sugar levels at the beginning of a five-year period and at the end and engaging government such that they would pay us For the percentage of reduction in blood sugar levels. Mm. And it's really important because four to five First Nations kids will have type 2 diabetes. And um, all governments are able to do is just to respond and manage to the problem. So if you need a helicopter ride to see a specialist in Winnipeg, they're very good at offering that. You need some dialysis beds or access to dialysis beds, they're very good at offering that. But when it comes to really engaging and getting the revenue to where uh, to the problem solvers, they need to really rethink these relationships. And we're giving them the tool to do that because governments buy stuff all the time, the three levels of government in Canada buy $50 billion worth of goods and services a year. So if they can buy dialysis beds, they can also buy a workload reduction. eh? They can buy a reduction in blood sugar levels. And uh, governments are good at buying stuff. They value what they buy. They don't value what they fund. And so the main shift that we're talking about here is nonprofits becoming more entrepreneurial and beginning to use these procurement tools, which governments are very used to using.
1: Hmm. That that stat hit me like a truck that 80% um of the population in those regions are expected to get type two diabetes. Um and really highlights and I encourage our listeners to take a look at Aki Foods. That's AKI, Sean.
2: Yeah, Aki is an Ojree word for earth, earth foods. And uh yeah, Aki energy is similarly, you look at the massive amounts of money that uh governments are paying for utility bills so Aki Energy installs ground source heat pumps on first Nations we've done 15 million dollars worth without using any funding just mm-hmm. business relationships with 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 governments and with Manitoba Hydro has been excellent uh, partner for us
1: Also you're very kind to think that I wasn't around for the beginning of the iPhone so thank you for that.
2: <laughs> um you no know, I, I just to be i said to realize the full impact and the magic of it all i, I realized you were alive <laughs> reason, but i mean I, I had put a few more years in than you prior to that you know to function in a world that that, that didn't involve iphones so
1: fair fair yeah. um Sh- sean uh you set me up pretty well for this next question um so Uh, The rumor is you you may be running for a certain political position and and I'm curious on, um, you know, why a pivot from, and I think you gave us part of the answer already, uh, but why a pivot um, from spending all of your time in social enterprise to uh, running for this position that you'd like to be?
2: Well, I was walking past uh, uh, a homeless camp mm, about March uh, it's almost a year ago. As uh, so I can't be 75 years old looking back on my life and thinking I should have stood up there when I know that there are solutions to these problems. And um, so in order, I just, I've been talking to politicians. I've had access to politicians my whole life. And they I haven't found any yet that really grasp what it is and to and so what I'm doing is by you know running for mayor in Winnipeg and hopefully getting into the mayor's chair is to really demonstrate to the rest of the country uh, how using some of these tools are going to impact us as a city um, and it's right across so many different areas I mean 99 percent of our houses this is an example are hooked up to natural gas and my house here in St. Boniface in Winnipeg is a ground source heat pump. People say, oh, that's too expensive. But the problem is the same as what we talked about with the policing, that if you want to buy, if you want to hook up your house to natural gas, it's easy. Uh, the The utility pays for all the infrastructure and you just have access mm-hmm. to it on a, on a monthly basis. You, you pay on a monthly basis forever, essentially. And so uh, I think we need to use those tools that have been so successful in, getting all these houses hooked up to natural gas and use those tools to uh, promote renewable energy like ground source heat pumps in the city.
1: Hmm.
2: And I mean, you'll see as a campaign unfolds, uh, It doesn't start in earnest until May when we're actually allowed to raise money and spend money. And uh, the election itself is in October, but um, we, uh, we're pretty excited with, with what we're gonna roll out. And I think we'll give people uh, and aw- awesome options on these tough issues, which uh, are different than the ones that they've been given in the past.
0: We're really looking forward to when that time comes so we can learn more. And I think also for the rest of our viewers and, and general Winnipegers to learn more about what those tools actually are, right? I think not only are you putting this, these into action, but you're empowering us to learn more about them and, and how this is a, a tool that nobody really is talking about, but it works, it's successful. And just those teachings through this next process over in you know, this campaign that you run is, is going to teach Winnipeggers quite a bit. So I'm, I'm quite excited to learn more. Um, but let's circle back for just for a second to uh, your social enterprises and what some of your big goals for the future are for uh, Aki Energy, for Aki Foods, for Build. And I know you mentor, you know, 12, maybe more social enterprises. What, do, what are your big goals for them?
2: Well, it's all about impact at this point. I think we've demonstrated across many different sectors that what we're doing works. Um, a lot of it has been battling government and we need government as an active partner. And I may mean, not. we need them to agree to save money. And along with that is that they need to let go. Uh, colonial governments, I mean, part of it is this this uh, contrast, you know, between getting behind problem solvers and, and making it difficult for us to do our work. So uh, we need them to lean into what reconciliation looks like. And uh, that I think that's doable. I think it's coming. I think it's coming right across the country and you know, cities and rural areas and Northern as well and Northern communities. And uh, I couldn't be more excited.
1: We, uh, we're, we're running long for very good reason uh, here. Uh, such great topics and answers. I got two more uh, quick questions for you. Um, how can our listeners uh, help with your causes?
2: Good question. Uh, I think being educated is important. Uh, you could check out our website at encompass.coop and you'll find a gem there a 17 minute comedic film that we uh, produce called Broke, the business of systems change, where we follow the lives comedically of a uh, executive director of a nonprofit and a civil servant as they uh, as, as they traverse this paradigm shift. Um, and uh, some of my books are there, An Army of Problem Solvers, which Damien's mentioned, and also uh, The Beautiful Bailout. Um, and in, in addition, you can, uh, look at seanloney.ca. It's, it's my personal website, but uh, there's access there to um, to uh, podcasts, uh, interviews, um, free press or newspaper uh, op-ed pieces on different subjects. And yeah, I, wherever people are, I encourage them to get involved in the social enterprise community and to really, you know, feel the energy of what uh, systems change can do and what it looks like and to be a part of.
1: Sean, we like to end every podcast on this last question, which is, what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you?
2: Well, I think for me, it just uh, comes back to working at the social enterprise center amongst people whose lives are just so tremendously different than my own and for them to know that my life has been easy especially economically um and that i'm just embr- i'm just fully accepted by mm. indigenous winnipeg and i think that's something that we all need is to meet each other through our own humanity and because we're all struggling we're all trying to find our own way and we've, we've started at different places on the baseball field at different bases I should say
1: mm-hmm.
2: and there's a recognition of that in our relationships but to know that uh, I can be invited in to be a part of the solution is a pretty amazing gift and um, you know I, I think it is that kind of kindness that that motivates me to to want to look back on my life and to, to see that there's been impact.
1: Everybody, uh, Sean Loney, who is creating uh, economies um, where everyone belongs. Uh, Thank you so much for your time and thank you even more for your impact you're having in our communities.
2: Thank you, Damien and Stu. I've enjoyed the conversation and uh, thanks for the good work that you do and look forward to meeting in person sometime soon.
1: Uh, Likewise.